time I see videos like that, I feel like our video team should start making movies. But anyway, we're going to keep on making the videos for us. But hey, before I get started this weekend, we have a new opportunity. You know, 23 years ago when I moved here from California and started Hope, I think the average age of the congregation was about 12 and a half. We were a very, very young church. But as we've grown over the years, we've grown in age. We've gotten older. And now do you realize that we have over 1,200 individuals in our database that are attend here regular who are over the age of 55. And we thought, man, we've got to get together. And so at all of our campuses, next Saturday night at seven o'clock, right after the six o'clock service here at Raleigh, all of you over 55 are invited to be a part of a new ministry that we're launching to address our needs. You know, we're at a great place in life. And I realize we make up less than 10% of the congregation here at Hope, but you know what? We couldn't open the doors without you. And we want to thank you, and we want to hang out with you. We want to have some fun together. See, we're at the stage in life where our kids are not sucking the life out of us anymore. So we have some stuff we can do, and we have a good time together. And we want to figure out how we can work together as a unit to more effectively reach the triangle and change the world. And so whichever campus you attend, next week, 7 o'clock here at the Raleigh campus is the kickoff of our new ministry. Laura and I are going to be there. We hope to share our hearts with you. We're, we're excited, looking forward to seeing what God is going to do. So that will be next week, Saturday night here at the Raleigh campus. Now, we're into the third week of our Taking Flight series, and in this series, we're learning how God actually changes and transforms our life from the inside out, how God changes us once we accept his son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, how he changes us into the people that he created us to be. We're learning that this uh, kind of transformation is not the kind of transformation we can pull off on our own. This isn't some, some kind of self-improvement program. In fact, we learned last week that we play a role. We participate in this process, but it's God who is actually empowering and controlling the process. Now, this weekend, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to address this question. So what is God's goal for our lives? I mean, if he's going to change us inside out, what's it look like? What's the finished product going to be like? And, and I thought of a good illustration maybe that would help uh, describe the, the scenario we're in. Um, a few years ago, Laura and I, we decided a couple of years ago that we were at the place in life where we were ready to downsize, okay? And so Laura said, why don't I design our retirement home? And we're thinking ranch, you know, three bedroom, and uh, this will be our forever home. That's the cheesiest term I've ever heard in my life. But I hear it on HGTV when we watch. That just means that's the home I'm going to die in, okay? So that takes all the romanticism out of my forever home, right? So Laura goes to work designing the home, and she's got the plans, and she's showing me blueprints. They mean absolutely nothing to me. Now, Laura, when she thinks this way, she can see the finished product. Uh, Laura helped design the Raleigh campus. She helped design the Apex campus. And so when she walks in, I'm like, wow, I had no idea it would look this way. And Laura's like, yeah, it looks exactly the way I knew it would look, right? But she planned this house, but then we decided because we had to buy a little bit bigger lot than normal because it's a ranch and you need a bigger lot. And then I found out with, there's more foundation and there's more roof line and the price per square foot kept going up to where it just didn't make sense to build this house in this neighborhood because we would never resell it. My kids would never get to resell my forever home after I died and make money off of my life. So I decided, you know, we decided we can't build this house. It just doesn't make sense to build this house. And she was so down. She was so sad because she had already seen this house. She had envisioned us living in that house. She had seen herself cooking in that house, you know, the family playing in the backyard in that house. And so it was, it was kind of a crushing to me. It didn't matter to me because all I saw were some lines on the paper. I never got that attached to it anyway. But the guy who was going to build our house, he actually goes to hope. 
And afterwards, he said, would you guys mind, I know you built it, would you mind if I build that house anyway and put it, you know, out there? And I said, sure, go ahead, go ahead. So he took the house that Laura designed, and he built the house. Friday, Laura took me to see it. It's getting ready to go out on the market. She said, she asked, can we go see it? And I walked in, and I realized why she was so sad and why she was so depressed, because once I saw the finished product, I was overwhelmed. In the very same way, our Heavenly Father, He has given us a model. He's given us a finished product of what He wants our spiritual formation to look like. And let me tell you why this is so crucial. It's because, see, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to know what God wanted your life to look like, you basically had to study the Ten Commandments. It was like, if you will do these ten things, if you will obey all of these rules, this is what godly character looks like. This is what righteousness looks like. This is what perfection looks like. So understand in the Old Testament, it was all about men and women working really, really hard, striving really, really hard to become what God wanted them to be. But when you get to the New Testament, God gave us a living, breathing example of what this finished product is supposed to look like. In other words, he says, if you want to know what you're supposed to look like when I'm finished with you, read Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome. This is what he, he writes in verse 29, Romans chapter 8. For those God foreknew, that would be those of us who are Christians, he also predestined, so he decided ahead of time, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, he predestined those of us who are believers to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to look like Jesus, okay? You don't have to be, you know, a hipster and go grow a beard. That's not it. Does it mean that we're going to dress like Jesus? That would be an outward transformation. He is talking about this inward transformation. In other words, if you had a chance to ask God, God, what do you want my spiritual transformation to look like? God wouldn't point to a list in the Old Testament. He wouldn't point to a list in the New Testament. He would point, he would direct you to the person of Jesus Christ. He said, you know what? I want you to look like him. I want you to love like him. I want you to be patient and kind the way he is patient and kind. I want you to be gentle like him. I want you to exhibit the kind of self-control that he exhibited. I want your character to look like his character. That's the goal. That's the picture. That's what the finished product is supposed to look like. Go for it. That's what I want you to become. And so this weekend... We're going to begin to talk about how we participate in this process of God transforming our lives. Think about this, into the image of Jesus Christ. And to begin, I want to look at a verse that we looked at last week, a verse that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 12. He said this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, I want you guys to leave that verse up for a second. I want you to look at that verse. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Where is God at work? Let's say it together. Where is God at work? No, not in me, in you. Okay, let's say, let's, that's confusing. Let's just say together, God is at work in us. Let's do that. Ready? Here we go. God is at work. Okay, say it one more time with meaning. Okay, God is at work in us. Okay, what is God doing? Look at the verse. What's he doing? He's working to bring about his good purpose in our lives. God is working in you. God is working in me to bring about his good purpose in our lives. Now, let me tell you why this is so huge. It's huge because, see, based on how we pray, most of us think God is working out there somewhere. 
but God's not working in us. And I say that because, see, most of our prayers sound something like this. God, change him. God, change her. God, change this. God, change that. God, please change our society. God, change the crime in America. God, change racism. Change the path of that hurricane. Change our political system. Change the poverty. God, in other words, I want you to do something out there. Now, let's be honest. That's how most of us pray. In fact, most of our disappointment in life comes because God will not do what we want him to do out there. We want him to work out there. We don't realize that Paul says, no, no, no. He's not working out there. He's working in you. Now, let me tell you something. The most balanced, mature Christians I know are people who have embraced this truth. People who understand God is working in me. It's the people who, when the bottom drops out of their life, their response is, well, I guess there's something that God wants to teach me. Or I guess this is God's way of building my faith. Or I guess it's just simply God's way of positioning me so I can more effectively minister to other people when they face this. Have you ever met someone like that? Don't they just make you sick? Don't they just make you want to throw up? Don't you want to shake them? Don't you want to say, quit giving me the spiritual answer. Come on, man. Act like you're upset. At least act like you're disappointed. At least show a little bit of anger at God, right? But I'm telling you, when you meet people like that, don't you want to be like them? Don't you like, man, I, I just want to learn from them. But see, that's the perspective that we're to adopt. Where is God at work? Well, he's at work in me. He's at work in you. Now, here's the next question. What's he doing in us? What's he doing in us? Some of you looking over at your spouse, not a whole lot. He's not doing a whole lot. I can tell you that right now, right? But what's God doing in our lives? Here's the answer. This is what God's at work doing. He's renewing us. Let me give you a few verses that support the fact that God is working really, really hard in us to renew us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. We would agree with that. Yet inwardly, we are being, what, renewed day by day. Here's another one, Titus 3, 5. He, God, saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, not because of our good deeds, not because of our good works, our good behavior, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. How about Colossians chapter 3, verse 9? Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. Boy, that's going to come up in a week or two. Renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Renewed in the image of Jesus. So understand, God is at work in you. God is at work in me. His goal is to renew us. Now, what does it mean to renew something? It means you make it new again. And, and generally, when you renew something, it's, it's basically a two-stage process. You have to take off what is old, and you have to put on what is new. I mean, if you want to renew your car, restore your car, you take off the old paint, you put on new paint. You ladies, about every week to 10 days, you renew your fingernail polish, right? You take off the old, or you go to a place they do it for you, but they take off the old, they put on the new. If you're going to renew your hardwood floors or your furniture, you take off the old, you put on the new. That's what renewal is all about. And that's what God is doing in us, whether we realize it or not. He is in the process. He is working really, really hard to renew us. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. It's important because you need to understand something. Becoming a Christian 
accepting the gospel, God's free gift of salvation, does not guarantee you that your life is going to change. See, some of you, you became a Christian, you thought, wow, now my marriage is going to get fixed. Uh, my kids are going to straighten up. My job's going to go better. My, my finances are going to fall in line. I'm telling you, simply becoming a Christian does not guarantee that your life is going to change. Renewal is what changes us into men and women and young people and teenagers and college students of God. That's what we're going to talk about this weekend. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I want you to see what God is trying to renew in us. I want you to see how it works. Again, this is just one of those series where every week builds on the previous week. If you weren't here, go back and watch. Make sure because by the end, I think it'll make sense, okay? But hang with me till we get to the end, okay? To begin with, there's this urgent plea from Paul. He says in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, okay, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Some translations say this is your reasonable act of worship. And that's really what it's saying. That is just the logical response. That is just the reasonable response to God's mercy in our lives. By the way, this word here, consecration, uh, this is what we refer to in theological series, as, as, as in, in theological circles. It's just a fancy word that means reserved for God, set apart for God. We went out with some friends Friday night. We walked into the restaurant. There were eight of us, and there was a table that said reserved, meaning it had been set apart for us. So when you consecrate yourself, you are reserving yourself. You are setting yourself apart for God's use. You're setting yourself apart for God's glory, God's pleasure, God's will. So Paul just simply says, listen, in light of the fact that God has been so merciful to you, the logical response, the reasonable response would be for you to crawl up on the altar as a living sacrifice. In other words, God, I'm all yours. God, I am all in, soul, body, mind. I am making myself a living sacrifice in light of what you've done for me. It just makes sense. It is the reasonable, it is the logical thing to do. But what's interesting is this word sacrifice. Because whenever we think of a sacrifice, we associate it with death. I mean, if you think about the Old Testament, an animal had to be killed. It was put on the altar. There was a fire that consumed it, but we think of death. Here it's interesting because it's not a dead sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. And if you were here during Donnie's series, you may remember he looked at this verse and he said the problem with the living sacrifice is that they like to crawl off the altar. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, we'll come to church on a weekend. We'll hear the sermon. We'll hear the message. We get all jacked up. We get all motivated. We get all inspired, and what do we do? We crawl up on the altar. Look, I'll stand, arms high, heart abandoned. I'm all in, God. You've got every bit of me. I'm even going to give you my time, God. I'm going to start serving. In fact, God, I'm even going to give you my finances. I'm going to become a person of generosity. But what happens? We leave here, and immediately we're tempted by something. We're driving home, and there's that girl in those jeans, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know? Or you drive by the car dealership, and that car you've always wanted, sitting right there in the front, big sales sign on it, right? Or you get home, and your neighbor runs out, hey, starting a new golf league, starting a new softball league, starting a new jump rope league, whatever it is. And you're like, well, I can't serve and jump rope. 
Don't have time for both, so what do you do? You crawl down off the altar, right? Don't we do that? See, but there's something inside of us that says, yeah, staying on the altar, it is a reasonable and logical response to what God has done for us. But then notice what Paul says in verse two. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What that says in the Greek is don't be a jello Christian. It doesn't say that actually, but that's what it means. Don't be a jello Christian, because think about it. Jello, you can put it in any mold and it will conform to the mold that you put it in. Paul says, that's not, you don't want that to describe your Christian life, but that would describe some of you this weekend. See, when you come to church, you fight all the way to church. But the minute you pull in that parking lot, it's like the heavens open up and you put a smile on your face and you put your Bible under your arm and you walk into church, you, you just conform right to the mold of what you need to be at church. And then the next day you go to work in the marketplace and it's dog eat dog and you bow up and you become the person you need to be in the marketplace. And then you party with your neighbors or on the college campus with the, the, with the sorority girls and the frat guys on Saturday night and you're throwing them back. You know what I'm saying? And immediately, you just immediately conform to that image, right? But see, Paul says here, don't do that. Don't allow yourself to be poured into a mold that resembles the value system of this world. Verse two, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Let me give you a simple definition for conformed. It's an outward expression of something that doesn't come from within. It's an outward expression of something that doesn't come from within. So Paul says, listen, you have the spirit in you. We've talked about that. We don't live according to the flesh. We live according to the spirit. So Paul says, don't be conformed to an image that isn't really you as a Christian. Don't think the way the world thinks. Don't act the way the world acts. Don't respond the way the world responds. Don't have the same value system. Quit trying to be politically correct all the time. Quit worrying about what's fair. Don't continue to allow yourself to be poured into a mold that reflects worldly values. To which most of us would say, you know what, Paul? We agree. We are right there with you. I mean, good gracious, Paul, we pay for that kind of thinking in our relationships. We pay with that kind of thinking in our marriages, in our parenting, in our finances, in our careers, in every area of life. Do not, verse two, conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. To which I think most of us, if we walk with Christ for a while, I think our response is, God, trust me. Trust me, God. I am trying to be transformed. God, I have dedicated and I have rededicated my life. I'm reading my Bible. I pray. I go to small group. I've told you I'm never going to do those things again. I am trying really, really hard to be transformed. I want to be a living sacrifice. God, I really want to stay on the altar. I've done everything I know how to do to be transformed. I just can't pull it off. I just can't make it happen. And I think Paul would say, well, you didn't finish the sentence. Verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And for most of us who've been Christians for a while, our response is, oh, I thought, it was, I thought it was by the rededication of my will. I thought it was by strengthening my resolve. I thought it was by deepening my commitment. Paul said, waste of time. Waste of time. None of that stuff works. Now, if, if you want to make a better you, if you want to make a Mike 2.0, a better version of you, if, you, if you're just are interested in a little bit of a self-improvement program, yeah, that may work. But if you want to actually be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, 
Oh, you got to have a whole different plan. You got to have a whole different strategy. In other words, Paul says the kind of change God wants to bring about in your life, it's not going to happen through self-will. It's not going to happen through determination. Your responsibility is to renew your mind because, see, a renewed mind results in a transformed life. And that's why he says in verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So understand, the renewing of your mind is the means through which transformation is going to take place in your life. In other words, if your life as a Christian, if it not only is going to change, if it is going to remain changed, then we must be involved in the process of renewing our mind. So I can remember sitting in elder meetings saying, what does a disciple look like? Let's get on the whiteboard. What is a disciple? What are the characteristics of it? Now, what do we do? What are the steps of becoming a disciple? And again, I'm a P major. I'm not all that smart. So I used to sit there and think, well, if it was that simple, wouldn't Paul put a chapter in here somewhere that said these are the six steps to becoming? And then it hit me in this series. It's not about six steps or ten steps to anything. It's right there in Romans chapter 12. Your life is going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So understand, every day of your life as a Christian, God is working in your life to bring about renewal. Now here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Remember I said we play a role in the process? We have to decide, will we work with him in the process? Will we just ignore the process that God is at work trying to renew our minds? Or we may even decide, are we gonna work against God in the process. But I'm telling you, if you are ready for the kind of change in your life that you never thought was possible, this is the challenge. Will you involve yourself in the process of renewing your mind? For that to happen, it means you're going to have to take off the old, you're going to have to put on the new. In other words, see, we have to take off the old attitudes the old thoughts, the old perspectives about things like sex, relationships, marriage, parenting, finances. We have to take off old attitudes, you know, old thoughts, old perspectives about what God should or shouldn't do in the world around us. We have to take off all of those old thoughts, attitudes, and perspectives that God wants to remove. And then we have to allow God to replace them with his attitudes, his thoughts, his perspectives on things like sex, relationships, marriage, parenting, finances, what God should or shouldn't do in the world around us. See, that's what God wants to do. He wants to remove our old way of seeing and he wants to replace it with his way of seeing because God knows that if we will begin to see as he sees, we are much more likely to do as he says. But I'm telling you, it doesn't begin with the rededication of your life. It doesn't begin when you decide that you're going to up your commitment. It begins with the renewal of our mind. It begins when we start to see life as God sees life. It begins when we learn to respond to issues of life the way God responds to the issues of life. I'm telling you, that is the power of renewal. In fact, you know what happens as we begin to renew our minds? Over time, and some of you will relate to this, over time, the things that seem so stupid, 
the same things that seem so outdated, the things that seem so ridiculous to us maybe six months, a year, maybe two years ago. In this process of your mind being renewed, suddenly those things begin to make sense. I mean, if we're honest and we're in church so we can be honest, there are certain biblical perspectives on life that we thought were just so lame, so stupid, so archaic when we first started following Jesus. And when you would come on the weekend and you would hear me teach on these things, your response is, I am so sure I'm going to do that. I am so sure I'm going to live that way. I am so sure I'm going to forgive my enemies. I am so sure I'm going to put God first in my financial world. I am so sure I'm going to save it till I get married. I am so sure. See, but here's what happens. When those biblical teachings, when those principles, when those truths, when they stop seeming so ridiculous, you know what's happening? Renewing is taking place. And it's because simply over time, your mind has been renewed. And as your mind has been renewed, without even realizing it maybe, you've begun to see life from God's perspective. And now what once seems so ridiculous, it makes perfect sense. It's like, of course that's why God says what he says about sex. Of course that's why the Bible teaches what it teaches about finding. Of course that's what Jesus said about forgiveness. See, that's the result of a renewed mind. And notice what Paul says in verse 2. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, as your mind is being renewed... As you're confronted with the laws of God, the rules of God, the do's and don'ts of God, the thou shalt's and the thou shalt nots of God. As you're, as you're confronted with God's perspective on life and marriage and finances and parenting and submitting to the authority that God has placed over you, whatever it is, there's going to be something inside of you that says, of course. It makes perfect logical sense. Why didn't I think of that earlier? Wow, isn't God smart after all? See, you're just going to feel that way. And this is why. Let me give you the principle. Renewal breaks down our resistance to God's rule in our lives and it allows God to have greater influence over our wills. Let me say that again. Renewing, as our mind is being renewed, breaks down our resistance to God's rule in our lives and it allows God to have greater influence over our wills. See, that's why God is constantly in the process of renewing our minds, not just instructing. Because you know what, let's be honest, as long as he's instructing, we're resisting. I mean, how many of us like to be told what to do? If I'm watching the football game and I decide, you know what, the dishwasher needs to be emptied, I'm going to go empty it, that's one thing. If I'm watching the football game and Laura says, honey, I need you to empty the dishwasher, that's another thing. I don't like that, I may even get a little attitude, you know what I'm saying? And it's because there's something in all of us that just doesn't like being told what to do. And so the last thing we want is some God that we've never even seen telling us how we're to live our entire life. And so just like you, I'm no, I'm no different than you. I naturally resist the will of God. But here's the cool part. Renewal breaks down that resistance. Because see, as your mind is being renewed, you begin to see from God's perspective. You begin to see as God sees. And as you begin to see as God sees, all of a sudden, you begin to do as God would have you do. And you know what? You're like, oh yeah, of course. Makes all the sense in the world. But God says for that to happen, you've got to renew your mind. 
You got to take off those old attitudes. You got to take off those old perspectives, that old way of thinking. And you've got to replace those things with my attitudes, my perspective, my way of thinking. And God says, if you will do that, you'll begin to see as I see. And when you see as I see, renewal will break down your resistance to my will in your life. Isn't that better than a Christian life where God is just sitting up on a throne somewhere? Stop it. Stop doing that. You know, get it right. You know, do this, do that. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. By the way, let me just say, this explains why many of you, at one time in your life, you gave up on church. You came to church, you heard the gospel, you were overwhelmed with the gospel, you prayed to receive the gospel. I believe you did. You got baptized. You went out of here to live the Christian life. You started reading it, you were gonna manhandle it, you were gonna make it happen. But when you did, you failed. And when you failed, you felt guilty. And then you confessed it. And you recommitted. And you rededicated. And you went out and tried harder. And you failed. And you felt guilty. And you confessed it. And then finally, you're sitting in church one day and you think, I don't know what this whole Christian thing is. Obviously, it's working for everybody else. But it's not working for me. And it's, no working, it's not working any differently from us. We just lie better than you. And we fake it better than you, right? But you're like, man, it's just, evidently it didn't take or something and you walked away. And maybe you're back this weekend. Maybe you're giving it one last chance. You know, you're hoping there's, maybe, maybe there's something I missed. Maybe there's some alternative to trying really hard only to fail, only to feel guilty, only to confess it, only to try harder, only to fail only to feel guilty and go through that cycle over and over again. I got a great alternative. Just relax. Just chill out. In fact, I may be the only pastor who tells you this in America this weekend. Don't do anything. Let me give you the alternative. Learn what it means to work with God, to have your mind renewed. Look at verse 2 again. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And see, some of you read that, you hear that, and you think, well, wait a second, Mike. I don't believe that God's will is good, pleasing, or perfect. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think God's will is impractical. I think it's unrealistic. And be honest with you, Mike, I think it's burdensome. This would be my response to you. Just keep coming. It's an hour of your week. Just keep Showing up, you don't have to change anything. Just come, just listen, because I'm telling you, you were surrounded by people that would say, a year ago, I felt just like you. But the more I'm here, and the more I listen, the more this stuff is starting to make sense. And I'm finding in my Christian journey that I have less and less resistance to God's plan and God's will in my life. Do you know why? It's because your mind is being renewed to what's true. And that's key. Your mind is being renewed to what's true. And you're coming to the place in your life where you're saying, wow, God, this journey with you, it is good. In fact, it's pleasing and it is perfect. I mean, there was a time when I would sit up here and talk about the fact that God created sex only for marriage. And I know what you're thinking, you know, because I get your emails. What century are you living in? 
So you thought sex doesn't really matter as long as it's consensual and you use protection. Then it's okay. You know why you think that way? That's what your friends tell you. That's what your school taught you. That's what the world system believes. But now you've listened, you've studied, you've explored on your own. Now you're like, oh, wow. Now I understand why the Bible teaches what it has to say about sex. Now I get it. And you know what? You want to raise your kids that way now, don't you, right? There was a lady, remember when I was doing the series on relationships, nine-week series based on how do you forgive your enemy? Man, you guys were irritated at me. I shut down my email, that series, you know. There was a lady who walked out under the portico at Raleigh the first time, and she said, I don't know, this forgiving your enemy thing. I don't think that's going to happen. And she said, my stepmom killed my dad. And I'm supposed to love her? She said, I've never spoken to her. I said, well, that's a tough one. Just show up. Just listen. Just see what God does. By the end of the series, she came up. She said, do you remember me? I said, yeah. She said, I called her. You called her? Yeah. We talked. You talked? Yeah. Wall's coming down. She said, I let it go. You know, she said, I got, I got all this freedom, right? Now I understand why the Bible teaches that. Now I get it. And it's because the renewing of our mind breaks down our resistance to God's will. You know what God would say to you this weekend? Forget everything else. Focus on renewal. Because that's what I'm focused on. And in time, the life change will come. In time, your character will change. In time, you will begin to resemble the person of Jesus Christ, and it's because a renewed mind results in a transformed life. Understand, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what God wants to do in your life. He's trying to strip away the old attitudes about relationships and forgiveness and sex and your husband, your wife, so he can put on a new one. Men, what if we saw our wives not as nags, harsh, Ice princes, you know. What if instead we saw our wives, think about this, what if we saw our wives, every time we looked at her, we saw her as a daughter of God? Well, that's a different perspective. Kids, what if instead of seeing your parent as mean, strict, unreasonable, God placed them in your life just to make you miserable, to suck all the fun out of your life, right? What if you began to see your parents as authorities that God handpicked for you? to position you, to prepare you for the future that he has for you. See, that's different, right? But see, that's what God wants to do in every single facet of life. He wants to take off the old, he wants to put on the new, because see, he knows that that is the shortest path to the image of Jesus. Because when we see as he sees, we're more likely to do as he says. And that is so much better. That's a much more effective plan than me just trying to be a better Mike and you trying to be a better you. Now, next week, we're going to continue this series and we're going to talk next week. What does it mean to take off the old? What exactly does that mean? And we're going to, we're going to painstakingly begin to identify some of the lies that we've been taught for culture. And we've, taught, we've been taught these lies. We've bought into them since we were born. And as a result... They have conditioned us and they have determined how we live life. 
how we handle our relationships, all the things that we do, we're gonna begin to identify those lies and figure out how do we take them off. And I'm just gonna tell you something. You need to be here. I mean, this is just one, I don't say this often because I know it doesn't really matter. You ain't coming anyway. But you need to be here. This should be a priority. Now, let me just say this. If you don't want your life to change, if you're like, I, I really just, I want to keep being miserable, Mike, and I want to keep being frustrated, and I really do just want to be unhappy the rest of my life, then I would say, then go to the football game. Go to the mountains, go to the beach, do whatever you want to do. But then at the same time, do me a favor and quit whining about how horrible your life is. I'm trying to show you how God wants to radically change your life. So if you want your life to change, be here. See, That's truth, people. It'll set you free. It'll set you free. Woo! No, next week we're going to talk about how do I identify the lies, and then we're going to talk about what do we replace the lies with, truth, because that's what sets us free, John 8, 32. And then the last week, we're going to do something I have not done in 36 years of ministry. But you'll have to show up. And it does not include dancing or jump roping. Okay, let's pray. Father, you're an awesome God. The fact that you would be at work in us, renewing our minds, renewing our minds, so that we can see as you see. And we're like, oh yeah. And then we begin to do as you say. And as we do as you say, and we apply these principles and truths and precepts from your word, our, line, our lives begin to fall in line with the image of Jesus Christ. It sounds too simple and it sounds too good to be true. And why we haven't heard it before, I'm not really sure. But Father, speak through your word. Open our hearts to something that may seem new. We're just so used to following the rules and getting it right. The fact that, yeah, that's part of it. But that comes as our minds are renewed by you. Do a great work in our lives. Do a great work in this church. And we're going to give the glory ahead of time for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen.